Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Cynthia Kao and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody, to the Veteran Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Carter. Back after a two-week break is Cynthia Kao. Welcome back, Cynthia. It's great to be together with you. I feel like sometimes I'm running you know, a show on my own or you're running a show on your own. And- yeah. No, that's totally. just the founder journey. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it. We've been both really busy, but uh, I'm glad we're both here, and and uh, and it's exciting because you know if you are new to the program, welcome. Every week and every episode, we get to talk to incredible founders who just happen to have one extra thing on the resume, and that's service to our country. And this episode is a little different, right? We're going to be doing something more topical rather than biographical. Uh, so, I'll, Cynthia, I'll let you introduce our guest. Sure. Our guest for today is Charles Godet from Predictable Profits. He has worked with Forbes, Inc. magazine, um, Salesforce, and uh, worked with a lot of founders, has been featured on Fox Business. I'm excited to kind of uh, have him on the show and bring some business insights to help those entrepreneurs out there listening, as well as our veteran founders. So welcome to the show, Charles. That's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And thank you to everybody listening for their service. That, that, that means a lot. Yeah, we're excited you're here, Charles. And I think, you know, let's kind of go through your background first. You want to tell us a little bit about you and and how you and your journey and how you got into entrepreneurship yourself. Sure. So I've been an entrepreneur since the age of four. I never had a traditional quote unquote real job. After graduating from college, I started a business nominated by Ernst and Young as being one of the nation's best seed stage companies. And then um, from there, I continued to build and grow a number of different organizations uh, until 2010, somebody offered to pay me to help them grow their company. Uh, That's when I started Predictable Profits. Uh, From that time, we've taken many companies to the Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies list, including a company from a million to 24.1 million within three years. Um, And just with the work that we did over 2020, the International Business Times reached out, did a featured story on me, calling me the go-to business coach for seven and eight-figure companies. Nice. Um, And I guess that's my quick uh, 30-second bio right there. Your elevator pitch. Yeah, I heard you're the the CEO whisperer. The CEO whisperer. That Yahoo Finance uh, called me the CEO whisperer, which is... uh, Kind of funny. Nobody's ever called me that before, but the kids think it's cool. So yeah, I I'll love it. Take it. I love it. When you're when you're sitting down with an entrepreneur, talk a little bit, especially a veteran entrepreneur. What do you think the difference is between the the traits that make a successful CEO when it comes to being veteran versus non-veteran? So yeah. I can have this conversation with context. Um, I was uh, nominated and ultimately selected to attend the U.S. Army War College um, during uh, one of their trainings with all the colonels and and so forth. And they wanted to bring in business leaders to just dialogue with other military um, uh, personnel there. And one of the most humbling experiences uh, that I had was the realization that here I am spending my entire life in entrepreneurship. 
And any one of these military folks could take my business, run it, and probably do an even better job than the one that I'm doing. And the reason why I say that, and I mean, of course, it would take a little time to, you know, learn the, to get the, the experience and whatnot, but over time, they could do a better job. It's number one, um, let's face it, we live in a world where everybody's looking for an easy button or whatnot, but it, it does take hard work. And, and veterans and people who have served in the military, they are not afraid of hard work. Better yet, they're not afraid of doing the hard stuff. And when you see most of the competition that are chasing growth hacks, they're chasing, chasing easy buttons and all these automations. My uncle once told me that the secret to success was doing the stuff that most people don't want to do. So find out what it is. Sometimes it's the hard stuff that actually produces the best results. The other thing is, is the level of critical thought that's involved in, in strategy. When I was um, at the table talking with the colonels, I asked them a question about the border wall that Trump had proposed between Mexico and, and uh, the United States. And I asked them what their opinion was on that. And they said, well, let's start with, you know, what are your thoughts? And so I shared my thoughts and they go, okay, so what are all the reasons why you should build a border wall? And so I discussed it and the other colonels discussed it. And then they go, now, what are all the reasons why you shouldn't build a border wall? And all the other colonels and we discussed it. And they made an argument so strong for why you should build a border wall and why you shouldn't build the border wall that I stood there going, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> and because they don't allow emotions to cloud judgment, a really good entrepreneur lets the data do the talking. And they look at the variables, not from an emotional, what do I think I should do? What do I feel is the right thing to do? It's what does the data say? and make data-based decisions. And that's another real key component of a leader. Um, the other thing is veterans know how to lead through a degree of calmness. If we wanna look at things, um, you know, metaphorically speaking, when a child falls down and scrapes their, their knee, the first thing they do is they look at mom and dad to see how I should react. In business, especially like when you look at what 2020 brought along, the employees immediately started seeing the headlines and looking at everything that's going on. And they stopped and they looked and they go to the founders and they go, how are they reacting? Are they confident? Are they calm? Are they going to be able to navigate through the challenges of 2020 and, and take us forward? And if so, then I'm willing to stay with this founder and I'm, I'm willing to continue staking my livelihood on this founder. Or are they nervous? Are they scared? Because if so, then I'm going to jump ship and I'm going to go somewhere else where they feel like, you know, they can they can protect me. And I with guess that, then with sorry, that trait, yeah, with that trait that you were saying for veterans being able to remain calm in the face of calamity, uh, what did what did you personally see, especially with 2020, the challenges that were uh, faced, you know, entrepreneurs faced with a pandemic, with shutdown, et cetera? How, how did you see veteran founders pivot through this time? Well, the first thing was uncertainty. 
right? And when you look at uh, in the in the military, they have this thing known as a commander's intent, and it basically says, okay, so um, here's what success looks like, and you know that's that's you know that's a good thing. That's what success ultimately looks like. But what you know is that when boots are on the ground, it's never a straight line between where you are and where you want to go. You know, things happen, which is why there's a commander's intent. In in business, there's going to be something uh, very, very similar. And things are going to happen all the time. We just ha- have to know how do we adapt, how do we evolve, and so forth. And in veterans, they have seen through and gone through so much that very little at this point, um, uh, I want to say... You know they're they're just they're willing to do whatever it takes. They're, they've they've got a sort of a, an adaptability, and so when the circumstances change, uh, they'll change with it. Unlike many other folks, that when the circumstances change, they sit there and they wait for things to change. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's the people that struggled the most through twenty twenty are the ones that sort of sat on their thumbs and just waited and hoped that. The economy would change, that buying habits would change, that technologies would change, and so forth. And um, and and they didn't they didn't make it. You bring up a good point, right? Like this last eighteen months have been pretty intense, right, to say the least. How have founders that you've seen that you've worked with made it through successfully through this pandemic? And and how was that different between? you know, the, the veteran founder community and the non-veteran founder community? Well, we're faced immediately with four decisions. Anytime there's an inflection point, and in my lifetime, there's been five inflection points. 1987, the crash in 2000, 2001, 2008, and then here we in, in 2020. Um, so anytime there's an inflection point, whatever happens prior to the inflection point, uh, changes. So buying behaviors change or, you know, it's never, it's not going to go back to the same 2020 has forever changed um, business as we know it. So we're faced with one of, of four decisions. Number one, we either have to change the message to meet the market, or we have to change the market to meet our existing message, or we have to change both the market and the message and then the fourth decision is, or do we just sit there and do nothing? And that's sort of what we talked about before. The veterans were really quick to adapt and to evolve. And when the data changed, it, they weren't operating by their gut. It wasn't like, oh, this is scary. Now I'm going to go you know, hide and wait for the, the storm to pass. No, it's, okay, wow, look at this. Things have changed. Let me sit back. Let me look at the data. What is the what is the next step that I should take? And even if it's a little bit of uncharted territory, and you know they're they're not going to go all in. It's going to say, okay, this is the next step. Let me start moving in this direction. Look at the data and see: Are we making a right? Are we making the right decision? A lot of veterans focus in on um, optimization which is one of the three most critical steps for creating sustainable growth inside of a business. It's optimization, systemization, and innovation. And optimization is 
you know, what's working well and how do we do more of it? And it's also what's not working and how do we do less of what's not working? And maintaining that approach of optimization, even through 2020, really helped these companies uh, do extraordinary things. And I'm talking about companies in all industries, hardest hit industries, you know, restaurants, travel. We can show businesses, even in those industries, having some of their best years ever in 2020. Actually, I wanted to ask you, since you talked about optimization, were there specific times where you noticed, you know, we talked about the good traits, the positive traits of veterans. Are there specific hardwired characteristics or traits that you would say that veterans can work on um, when they're adapting and transitioning maybe to an industry that they're not used to, you know, exiting the service and trying to enter uh, as a new entrepreneur? What, what are some uh, key areas that we could improve upon? So great question. Um, so the first thing is, I, you know, I talked about doing the hard things that uh, oftentimes is, a, is critical to success. Um, but there's a core difference between doing hard things and brute strength. And um, many times um, it's there's this gray line where. Uh, they may think that the secret to success is hard work and I am going to work harder than anybody else out there. But that becomes an entrepreneurial trap because hard work by itself doesn't scale. When I talk about doing the hard things, you know, it might be like actually picking up the phone and talking with your clients to learn about how you can better serve them rather than maybe just sending them a blast email. Um, you know, those are type of the, the hard things the hard, it, that, that somebody could do rather than looking at the growth hacks, you know, methodically planning it out, being willing to be patient and let things manifest its, its way out, even if it takes a couple weeks longer than to just, you know, go right for it. But um, hard work and just saying, okay, I'm going to, get up, I'm going to set my alarm for 3.30 in the morning and I'm going to work until my eyes can't stay open anymore. I'm going to do that seven days a week and, and nonstop. Um, I've done that myself. Uh, and it, it not only landed me in the hospital, uh, but it also helped to contribute to me finding myself in over $1.1 million in debt. Wow. It wasn't until I realized that I needed to work smarter and get more out of the time that I was spending that uh, I was actually able to, you know, pay off my debts and create my my first multi-million dollar company. So hard work is is the number one trap that I would say that the, the veterans can often find themselves in. Uh, the other uh, thing is that a fight for perfectionism. Um, I, I tend to find that a lot of founders, they want things to be perfect. Perfection can also lead to procrastination. Um, done is uh, is better than perfect. You ever and heard so, of that saying, uh, perfection is the enemy of good enough? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's true. And in the film and entertainment industry, we, we say that films are good films are abandoned, not completed, because you, you have mm -hmm. to make deadline. And I mean, you can sit there and edit and edit and edit uh, until you know, you've got like 20 different uh, versions, but 
at the end of the day, you, you've got to make deadline and, you know, you have to feel that it's good enough. And I definitely hear everything that you're saying, because I've noticed in myself as an entrepreneur, and I, I see this pattern of behavior with other veteran founders that, um, you know, in the military, you don't, you have set hours, but there's a lot of times where you're working in the field, you're deployed, you're working 14, 16 hour days, whatever happens. If you're responsible for your crew, you know, you've got to respond to that. And so there's never really like a sense of taking time off or you feel a sense of guilt for taking time off. Yeah. And I did this when I was first transitioning out my first few years, I burned myself to the ground. Like I was a workaholic because one, I really wasn't comfortable um, in the civilian sector. So it was my way of kind of masking um, the transition issues that I had. The second thing that it's a, it's a lie, but the second lie I told myself was if I work hard enough, then everybody will see it. Right. And then it'll, (laughs) everybody will notice how great I am. And, and then that will just be a reward in and of itself. But ultimately you can't run a business if you're going to burn yourself to the ground and, and take your health along with it. And I wasn't spending time with my family. I wasn't taking vacation. And as a, as a uh, result, I ended up getting really sick, physically sick and burnt out. Mm-hmm. You know, so touch on that a little bit. Like how, how do you address founders who you're seeing them? Like ultimately they're spinning their wheels and is not going to be helpful long-term. It's not sustainable. One of the, if we're going to look at over a founder's shoulder, um, we're going to see a common trait that they wake up in the morning. The first thing that they do is they reach over to their nightstand, they grab their phone and they start checking their email even before they put their feet on the carpet. And they get up and that sets the tone for the day. They get behind their, they're eating breakfast, they're reading their emails, they're starting to reply emails, they get behind their desk and they are very reactive. They let their customers, their employees, the events of the day take control of their time. And they may work a 12 hour day, finish the day, Last thing they do is they check their email while they're laying in bed. They put their head on the pillow and they go, man, I I worked 12 hours today and I still feel like I got nothing done. And that's because they were being very reactive. They let the day control their events. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of the coin, I had the good fortune of traveling with many centimillionaires and billionaires and studying them around the world. And one of the things that uh, that I noticed was that the more successful an individual was, the more control they had over their time. Um, they had very strict disciplines around when they even checked their email. So most of them would, didn't check their email until they actually got behind their desk in the morning. Uh, and it wasn't until they set the intention for the day. They were very proactive And they had it all scheduled out. If there was one thing that they were going to get done for that day, they put it in their schedule, they blocked off the time, and they were going to get it done. They they checked their email maybe twice, two, maybe three times over the course of the day, and very quick to delegate it to other people. They controlled the day. So we have two reactions when it comes to our business. We can either be reactive And when we're reactive, we feel powerless. And when we're powerless, we feel stressed. Hmm. Or we can can be very proactive and say, this is what I set out to accomplish today. And I'm going to do it come, you know, 
come hell or, or a high water. And that means that because I've committed to finishing my day by five o'clock so I can, you know, I have dinner with my family and put my kids to bed and, you know, the whole deal. That means that I'm going to, something's going to have to give and I'm going to just block off my time and everybody else can figure out whatever they need to figure out because I have to get it done. And so restriction breeds innovation. And if we don't have restriction and if we don't create discipline, then everything else happens to us. We become almost a victim of our our business and our, our circumstances. It's kind of funny you mentioned this because I had a conversation earlier uh, today about working, that working smarter, not harder, but really the value of not working because some of my best creative insights and initiatives have come about when I'm relaxed, when I'm not, you know, going at 80 miles an hour, when I'm not doing quote unquote work. Um, All of the best partnerships I've worked on have been at rest and you know, you mentioned the word delegate, like how important is it for founders to be able to trust their team and delegate things and spread out uh, the workload so you're not in a position where you feel like you have to control everything or micromanage in order to be able to create a business that's sustainable without you being there present a hundred times, you know, checking everything. So uh, I have an interesting story as it relates to that. So um I uh, took my family to the Cayman Islands on vacation. And while my family was by the pool, I was checking my emails and having phone calls and the whole deal. I was working because I felt like that's what I needed to do mm-hmm. in order to support my team and uh, grow the business and whatnot. And then one of my team members called me up and uh, he says, can we talk? And I said, yeah, what's up? And he says, do you trust me? And I stopped for a minute and go, oh, that's an odd question. Of course I trust you. This is like, you really trust me? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I I really trust you. Why? And he says, well, here's the thing. Um, When you go on vacation and you don't take that time off, uh, it makes us, and I'm speaking on behalf of the team, makes us feel like you don't trust us. Mm. And I said, interesting. And he said, that's the other thing is that, it makes us feel bad because when we go on vacation, we take the time off and we disconnect and we want you to do the same because we know that this business, you know, is dependent on you to be, you know, full of energy and, you know, that you don't burn out and the whole deal. So I'm going to tell you something that I'm afraid might upset you. And I'm like, oh my God, what's up? And he said, you're fired. <laughs> and I And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, I'm going to fire you for the week. And this is your, you're going to have to prove to me that, uh, that you do trust me. And I promise you, I have your cell phone number. I'll call you if there's, uh, there's an emergency, but please, you know, please trust us in this. And one of the things that I learned is that when you give people in your team, uh, the ability to prove themselves, when you empower them with the right systems and the right training, um, they do awesome. And when I came back, the company was better off having me not in the company than in it itself. And when we look at 2020 and the events that shaped 2020, I had a good friend of mine. Uh, he had spent 11 years building his business and he got COVID and he was in the hospital for three weeks. When he got out of the hospital three weeks later, 
his business no longer existed. He lost a hundred percent, lost a hundred percent of his clients. His team had resigned and he was out of business 11 years building it. And he was out. And one of the things that he shared was that his biggest mistake is that he made the business too dependent on him, that he never empowered people to take leadership. And because of that, when he was gone for as little as three weeks, 11 years of his business went down the tubes. When I got COVID in August, um, it came on fast. And most of August for me, I spent focused on not only taking care of myself, but my whole family got COVID as well. So mm-hmm. for the members of my family and myself, and um, so most of August, I couldn't be with the, with the business, but we have such a great team and the processes and whatnot. August was the biggest month of the entire year. Actually, the biggest month in the history of the company. Now, of course, it was a little bit of an ego check for me because I'm looking back going, wow, the one month that I'm not actively <laughs> part of the company, <laughs> we had the biggest month in the history of the company. But also, I was like one of those proud dad moments because I'm like, look at that. But the team really wanted to prove to me that they could do it. And they did do it. And they did such an awesome job. They, we created a historic high. As founders, we're often the bottleneck. And bottleneck, very by a very traditional term, if you look at a bottle, a soda bottle, or you know, whatever it is, the flow of water is restricted by the neck of the bottle itself. If you want to increase the output, sometimes you just have to remove the top of the bottle. Mm-hmm. And founders, unbeknownst themselves, in more cases than not, are the biggest reason why their business isn't growing as fast as it otherwise should. You know, uh, Charles, you spend a lot of time with founders teaching them how to be efficient operators. And you talk a lot about removing the bottle cap or the the bottle top in that equation. When you're when you first sit down to with a founder and you're getting ready to work with that founder, what are some commonalities that you see along the way that you're like? Boy, these are really common things, uh, you know, whether they're mistakes or inefficiencies that you see that are just low hanging fruit for founders that you could, pro- you know, maybe impart on the on the audience that we have today. The number one thing that we see over and over again is the over reliance on hard work and that goes to how they bring in leads and sales. And 80 to 85% of the conversations that we have uh, every month, and we talk to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of business owners every month, um, but 80 to 85% of all of our conversations, when we ask them, how, did, how are you bringing in leads and, refer- leads and sales? They say from word of mouth and referrals and word of mouth and referrals is the number one source of, of revenue. But the challenge is, is it's not scalable. When it comes to growing a business, there are a couple of different stages. The first stage is you're just trying to get momentum. 
So you may just, it's like throwing spaghetti against the wall. You're just trying to see what sticks. And then you start doing more of what's working and less of what's not working. But once you start getting momentum, because that focus is on let's get traction, let's get growth. Once you start having that, the trap many entrepreneurs fall into is they continue to do that same thing. And business starts to stall out and they're not achieving the results that they hope to achieve. And they're working hard, but making less money per hour because it's just hard work doesn't scale. But there's a shift from once you know what sticks and you start doing more of what's working and what's not working, you go from just building that momentum to thinking about sustainable growth. And sustainable growth might be growing at 30% a year, 50% a year, whatnot, but sustainability itself, when you think about it, it means how do I build a business that's not dependent on me? How do I build a business so that I'm generating leads from multiple different sources, that I'm generating sales from multiple different sources? How can I generate sales? If you're in the service-based business, a lot of founders are the sole salesperson as well. So how do you move yourself from from sales so that, again, you can scale? And so sustainability is really, really, really critically important. And the, the businesses that tend to find themselves in trouble or plateaued growth, it's because they're still stuck in the first phase of building their business without realizing that how they got to it to the point is not where they're uh, is different than uh, how they're going to get to that next level in their company. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things that the very glaring differences between, say, a veteran founder and a non-veteran founder is the non-veteran founder typically has a broader network, whereas the veteran founder, they spent all their time overseas going through different deployments, not cultivating a really robust network of, of people. And when they're growing their business, that network can be very slim, and that can often be their competitive disadvantage. How can veterans who are just getting into starting their business utilize or grow their network to the benefit of their business uh, in those early days, knowing that their network may not be there to be able to lean and grow the business in the early days? Mm, what a wonderful question. Um, I used to think that very early on that I was just bad at networking. I, I couldn't figure out what it was. I, I noticed that some people just seemingly had all the connections and were getting all the opportunities. And I'm sitting there trying to shake hands with as many people as possible, trying to network with this. And I'm not getting the same opportunities. And then I realized one critical difference is that my networking approach was, how is this person going to serve me? And I was so focused on what I could get out of the relationship that uh, it was it was costing me it was costing me the relationship. Versus, as I looked at the other people who were doing the networking, they looked at it differently. They they were looking at it as how can I add value to this other person? And when I started changing my mindset instead of thinking how is this person can add value back to me instead of looking at how can i enrich or serve or otherwise add value to somebody else my network started to grow and when you're adding value to other people 
a true relationship is a value exchange. You add as much value to somebody else. And ultimately, they want to be able to reciprocate and at some level. And they're going to find more ways to add value to you. The difference, though, is that you don't engage in a relationship for the sole purpose of this person is absolutely going to have to provide value to me in the next seven days, or I'm going to drop this person like a, like a hot potato. It doesn't work that way. You know, you just, you build the relationship, you serve and add value. And then over time, you just trust that one of two things are going to happen. Either maybe they become a client or they refer other people to you um, that do become clients. Yeah, that's so, uh, that's super interesting because I feel like a lot of the veterans that I've mentored who are trying to either get into the tech industry or grow in the tech industry absolutely hate networking. But that's because they have a traditional model of I'm going to utilize this person for my own needs. And the other thing is in the military, you're not taught to look at the value of networking because when you're in the military, you get you move, you change stations, you get deployed, you meet people all the time, but you're not looking at them like, Hey, how can I, how can I genuinely learn from this person? Because generally it's the same kind of culture. You're within the same ecosystem. When you get out of the military, you're forced to interact with different ecosystems that culturally you might not be comfortable with, you know? And I, I say the same thing. It's start with the conversation. You're, you're basically trying to learn. You're having this dialogue with people that maybe see the world in a different way. They don't necessarily have the same background and the same experiences and that's okay. You can provide insight. And that's a little bit of education, too, for companies that may be a little shy on hiring veterans or military, you know, growing those business kind of ecosystems. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, since we're kind of at the top at the end of our our hour here, um, what are some big lessons learned that either you've learned or that you've noticed other founders learn that veterans can uh, use to avoid, you know, making the same mistakes? Oh, wow. Um, good question. Well, you know, if we look at it from starting a business, what I'll say is that um, a business doesn't die because of a lack of a good idea. A business dies because of the lack of momentum. And so when people think in terms of establishing momentum, when you look at the guru world out there and you open up your Facebook and whatnot, you're going to see all these people pitching strategies and uh, funnels and all this other stuff. And they're going to make you feel like what you're doing is not the right thing you should be doing and you should be focusing on something else. So very early on, what happens is you have somebody who is maybe starting uh doing one thing maybe it's facebook advertising and then another guru says no 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 you got to do webinar funnels you do webinar funnels and it's like no 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 you got to do outreach and you do outreach and you do all this stuff but inevitably what you're doing is your start stop start stop metaphorically speaking i want you to imagine yourself building a fire the old fashioned way with two sticks and you have these two sticks and you're rubbing them together and you're rubbing them together, hoping that you get this little red ember. That little red ember is the start of momentum. And then you go into what we talked about earlier in, in today's episode about optimization. When you have that little red ember, you do more of what's working. You say, okay, I'm going to take some pine needles and some leaves. And I'm going to blow on it until I get a flame. 
And then when you have that little bit of a flame, then you can start putting little twigs and then from twigs to branches and from branches to logs, and then logs to trees. And before you know it, that momentum is so strong that you could take buckets and buckets of water and you can't even put out the fire because that momentum is so strong. And it all started with one red ember. So anytime you're starting or growing a business, look at where the red embers are in your business. Find out ways in which you can turn that little red ember into a flame and from a flame into a fire and then grow it onwards. Don't go from one red ember to another red ember, trying one thing to another to another. Everything works and nothing works at the same time. You'll find millionaires created through direct mail, still with the yellow pages, believe it or not, um, all the way through Facebook and social media and email marketing and webinar funnels and Google and all this other stuff. Just everything works and nothing works. Pick one, expand on it, make it awesome, and you'll do real well. It's great advice. Um, Charles, where can people find you online? Uh, the best way is over at predictableprofits.com. Um, and we've got some free training videos that uh, veterans can can check out right there on predictableprofits.com or they can schedule a strategy session with us and we're happy to dive a little bit deeper into their business and see you know different ways we might be able to add some value. I love it. I love it. Charles, thank you so much for being on the show and, and providing all your wisdom. I really appreciate it. You also have a book out, right? If I'm not mistaken, what the, the name of the book is, uh, go to business coach. <laughs> no, uh, the, the predictable profits playbook. playbook. Uh, so That's you right. can, you you can find the predictable profits playbook, um, at, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles and so forth. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. Cynthia, this has been wonderful. Yeah, it's basically, I need to have more of this. Yes. <laughs> more of this in our show. Yeah. Just just because, you know, all of us as founders, it, it helps to have an outside perspective to kind of both, one, validate what we're doing, and then two, be able to provide some insights on some areas that we can improve. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, definitely. It- it's been an honor. Yeah. Hey, you know, as we're closing out the year, uh, Cynthia, I just want to take a quick uh, moment to really just highlight the wonderful year we've had so far. Uh, 2021's coming to an end in some ways, thank God. Uh, but, you know, in other ways, I'm just thankful for you. And there's a whole litany of people behind the scenes that make this show possible. And I want to make sure we thank them. Mark, Michael, uh, Chelsea, Alon. They're the ones that are behind the scenes. You and I get the easy part of just talking to these amazing people. So thank you to our wonderful crew and thank you to our listeners who have made this show really what it is today. Absolutely. It's been great to be part of this two years already. Oh, my goodness. It's crazy. (laughs) All right, guys. Anyway, uh, thank you so much. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. Listen, learn, get shit done. We'll see you next time. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.